All right. Well, I woke up this morning uh, realizing that uh, I couldn't preach what I thought I was going to preach, what I thought I was going to preach when I went to bed last night. And that is because yesterday, um, after a five to four vote, the Supreme Court ruled that it was unconstitutional for states to ban same-sex marriage and that all states must recognize same-sex marriage as legal. So the law of the land, as we woke up this morning, uh, actually yesterday, is that um, same-sex couples and those in the LGBTQ community um, have the same equal status with those as heterosexual couples in this land of ours. So with that, uh, you are probably aware of that news because I know a lot of you, like me, happen upon Facebook and Twitter. Yes? So you heard this news. Yes? You've read the posts. Yes? You've read the news articles. Yes? You've read the blogs. Yes? And you've uh, heard from your family and friends. And uh, if you work at a place that has a water cooler, I imagine if that is a place that people actually talk, they were talking about this. Yes? So if you were on Facebook and Twitter at least, and not around a water cooler, you may have noticed the hashtag that says what? Love what? Wins, right? Love wins. And so when I'm thinking about that hashtag, and I'm thinking about social media, and I'm thinking about the firestorm, good and bad, it created in this country, I think about how love wins. And I wondered, well, yeah, but has it? And I'm not making a political statement at this point. What I mean is this, has love won because what I saw quite a bit of yesterday was a lot of hate. And as far as I understand it, love is the opposite of hate. I also saw a lot of fear. And as I understand it, perfect love casts out fear. And so I was thinking about that hashtag, and I was thinking about the zeitgeist of a country that is just uh, blown away by this, uh, good, bad, and ugly. And I wondered, has love really won? And then I got to thinking, well, what is love anyway? What is love? <laughs> Let's just get that off the table, okay? If I can't joke a little bit about this, you know, I'm sorry, you're in the wrong place. The follow-up after a joke is a very serious question, and that is, what is love? And we're just going to spend a few moments talking about this question. What is love anyway? Because before we really get going, the hashtag that I'd really be interested in is this, love one. Love one 2,000 years ago when the God who is love was pleased to dwell fully in the person of Jesus Christ. That's Colossians 1. In Jesus, the fullness of the Godhead dwelled bodily. And so the God who is love lived and breathed and ate and walked and talked among people like us. And people who aren't like us. And so love one because the God who is love, like the air is air and uh, an emerald is green or a tree is made of wood. The God who is through and through love not only walked and talked and ate and drank and lived and breathed and taught among us, that 
God, Jesus, who is the perfect revelation of the God who is love, gave His life for us, the world, when we were enemies. So love won because when there were so many obstacles between us and a holy God, God the Father reconciled the world in Christ. Whatever obstacle was there has been removed because love won on the cross. And the God who is love gave His Son Jesus in love to rescue and reconcile us in love. So love won because hate and fear and death don't have to have the last word. Hebrews 1 says, In many times and in many ways the prophets spoke. But in these days God has spoken in this. Son, He is the exact image and representation of His being. And if God is love, then Jesus, who won in love by giving His life in love, is what God is like. So the gold standard has already been set. Before we answer the question, what is love? We have to know who is love, and it's God. If God is wrath, He is loving in His wrath. If God is judge and justice, He is loving in His justice. If God is compassionate, He's loving in His compassion. If you were to bore a hole into the middle of the unseen God who is spirit, you would find a nucleus and core of love. Father, Son, and Spirit united and ever eternally loving And everything that radiates from that center starts with love, period. Because of all the things that John could have said, he said, God is love. And if you don't believe me, let's look at 1 John 4. It's not on the screen, beginning in verse 7. God has set the gold standard of what love is. And He didn't just tell us, He showed us. I should have put the marker in my Bible. God didn't just tell us, He showed us. How did He show us? Beginning in verse 7 of chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. For God, what? Is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. Oh, okay. We better pay attention to this. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Pause there. To the degree that we are not living through Him and it looks like the God who is love, we're probably off base. Yes? Is that a fair claim? I hope so because that's what we're going to really dig down and talk about here in a moment. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice or propitiation, if you're a seminarian, for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, 
We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. What is love? What is love? At the very least, it comes from the God who is love, and it is a God who gave, so it is an action, and we would say in this church, what is love? Let's look at our definition here that we've talked about before. Love is a choice. It is not an emotion. Love is a choice to relate. It's a relational You need another person or another thing to have love. If there's a love circuit, if there's a current in electricity, you need the other person to make the circuit complete. So love is a choice, not an emotion, to relate. It's relational to an other, to an other person, to an other being. It's a choice to relate to an other. How did God love us? He gave His only Son as an atoning sacrifice. It's a choice to relate to another as valuable. God thought we were so valuable in our little enemy state, broken down, beaten and bedraggled. He gave His only Son and it cost Him greatly. So if God who is love is the gold standard of love, we must choose to act Because God chose to give. And it's got to be relational. You can't love someone from their Facebook profile. But you can love someone by knowing them and having a relationship with them. And when you love rightly, you're going to find yourself giving and sacrificing and costing. God is the gold standard and He has showed us how to love. And as John says, not that we loved God, but God first loved us. God loved us and we are to follow His lead. We're taking a break from the book of Ephesians, our series there. We're going to pick it back up in the fall. Uh, Starting uh, uh, in two weeks, we're going to start a series called Our Church. And uh, what Our Church is about is Our Little Church Providence and the bigger church proper, and it's an answer to the question of, well, who are we? You know, who are we? What are we as a church? But uh, if we, when we pick up our Ephesians series, in chapter 5, we see be an imitator of God and walk in love. God loved us first, we respond. So the God who is love is the gold standard of love and love costs us something and it's a relationship to an other. So I say as we look at our church and in this new series I just mentioned and as we look at the God who is love I would say another claim here that a church is only as good as her disciples because what is a church? It's not a building, it's a people. So a church is only as quote-unquote good as are her disciples. Are you with me? So what is a disciple? Well, a disciple is only as quote-unquote good, a follower of Jesus is only as good as the quality of his or her love for God and others. If God first loved us and loved us to the point that he gave and sacrificed, and we are to follow his lead, that is what a disciple means, then 
We can say, I am like God to the extent that I love even at cost to myself. You with me? This is all re- reminder, you know, because I had to wake up this morning and drum something up. Yes? No, I'm just kidding. No, but I did. But this is a reminder that we always need to keep in front of us. Who is God? Love, right? What is the greatest commandment? Love God, love others, right? So beyond our definition of, uh, of love is um, a choice to relate to others as valuable even at cost to yourself, beyond that definition, with God who is the gold standard of what love looks like, how then do we love, right? Well, for that, we don't even have to go to a wedding. We'll just read it tonight. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. And if you're wondering why on earth I mentioned that Supreme Court ruling and yet I've taken what seems to be a long left turn, I'd like to remind you that we're really interested in the question, what is love? And how should we relate to a world in love because we're called to love? You with me? 1 Corinthians 13. I know it's late, but I'm going to read the whole thing, okay? If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging Symbol. Pause. If I post on Facebook as a disciple of the God who is love, and I don't have love, I am adding to the noise pollution of a country that is in a frenzied state of shock. If I go and speak to my gay family member and have not love, I am nothing to their ears but the shrillest and most disgusting kind of music I could could pour into their eardrums. I'm not making a claim on whether or not homosexuality is a sin. What I'm encouraging and reminding us to do, that if we do anything, and like God, it does not come from a center of love, It is not coming from a center that is God. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. Take it off my resume. I can be the most holy person I can be at the top of Christian organizations and pastors and leaders in mega churches, but if I have not love, it doesn't mount to anything. I am nothing. And if, I, if I'm not this way, what if I gave and did all this nice stuff? Well, verse 3, if I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my very body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Even if I died for something or someone, but it's not motivated and rooted in that deep center place of the God who is love, I gain nothing. Verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but does rejoice 
in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What is love? It's got to look like this. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, all those nice things he mentioned, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we now know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. He puts it this way. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror, dimly. But then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, and the greatest of these, is love. One day I will have no more faith. Because if faith is the substance of things unseen, I will see face to face the God who is love. One day I don't need faith. One day I don't need hope. I don't have to hope for God to recreate the world and to give us a new heaven and a new earth and there will be an end to suffering, sin, and death. I don't have to hope because one day I will join Him in a city where it is flooded with light and glory and love and He will wipe every tear away. So I don't need to hope for that day because I will get to live it. But what will remain is the God who is Love. The greatest of these is love. So what is love and what should that love look like? You see, the way we're called to love and what we see in 1 Corinthians 13, the way we're called to love cannot be wished into being. I think I can, I think I can be patient and kind and bear all things and endure and love that never ends. I can't wish these things. Christ-like love is walked into being. And love requires an other So take marriage. Love and marriage is the house in which you learn, unlike any other relationship in the world, how to walk in love. Because I can stay here all day and say, I love my wife. But you know what? I have to live with her and show her and choose to relate to her in a way that values her at cost to myself. I can't just sit there and say, I love gay people. I can't just wish this. I can't say I love homeless people or prostitutes or the least and oppressed in India in orphanages. I can't just sit there and say that stuff. At a certain point, you know what's going to change the world? When you walk in such a way that values that person like Jesus would. You know what changed the world? The fact that Jesus actually died Not just talked about it. So at a certain point, we can talk all day till we're blue in the face and listen to sermons like this about what is or isn't love, but if we are not willing to do the hard work at cost to ourselves and say, I may not agree with you, but how can I value you? I may not accept your lifestyle I may not be happy about your drug addiction, but I am going to choose to relate to you in a way that lifts you up and I'm going to resist knocking you down. 
We must be people who love in action. This is John talk too in 1 John. We must be people who not just see the hungry and oppressed. We must be people who clothe them. If a church is only as good as her disciples and all we do is talk about a bunch of stuff, we are a terrible church. And I may not say we're not a church. If we see needs and we see people and we relate to people and we're doing it in a way that does not look like the God who is love, relating to others at cost to yourself, whatever that looks like, the Spirit will lead you into all truth. Whatever that looks like, if we are doing that, we are following and imitating the gold standard of the God who is love. And if God who is love dwelt fully and bodily in Jesus, I think it's safe to say that I could read 1 Corinthians verses 4-8 to and just simply replace the word love with Jesus and say, okay, how do I walk into that love and not just wish it? Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. If your Jesus is any of those things, it is not Jesus. Jesus does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. God help me when I am. Jesus does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Jesus sees the people who are lost and on the road to destruction and death and sin and a spiral of shame and despair and addiction and depression and self-hatred and He does not rejoice in it. But He looks at this person and He says, I am going to value you at cost to Myself. I died for you so that you could be raised from death to life. I died for you at cost of My very life so that you can be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of Me. And I will be your king, not this sin that so easily entangles I will be your friend, not these people who've rejected and oppressed and destroyed you. I will be in you and you will be in me. And we forget. And we refuse to stay awake to it. And we continue to let our circumstances dictate our reality. And not Jesus, who is the fullest revelation of the God who is love. He doesn't rejoice in evil and wrongdoing. He rejoices in the truth. Verse 7, Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus never ends. If you are in Christ, though your body wastes away, Jesus will remain and you with Him. And all the people who are beat down and drunk and struggled with flaming heterosexual sex addiction, pornography addiction, every day falling and stumbling, but every day or every month saying, Jesus, help me. You're all I've got. 
They're in line with all the people who have alcohol as Lord, not Jesus as Lord. When they say, Jesus, you're all I've got, help me. They're right there in line with all the most angry sons of guns you've ever seen that put their hands on women and children. And you, you, you see them lashing out and raging at everyone they come in contact with until they say, Jesus, you're all I've got. They're right there in line behind the woman who is at the very margins of society, who is addicted to crack and is on Harry Hines and is selling herself out for the next rock. And she is enslaved not only by her addiction and her state in life and society, she's enslaved to other people. And she is right there in line when she says, Jesus, I don't want to be enslaved to them. I want to be yours. And she's right behind all the good white people who go to church. But did I say behind? Because I'm pretty sure that all the good white people at the church are the ones at the back of the line. But provided they say too, Jesus, you're all I've got, we will be very surprised at the lengthy line into the new kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth. Because I simply believe that gay, straight, or otherwise, if at the end of the day they say, Jesus, you're all I've got, he paid for every one of our sins, whether you have sex with a man and you're a man, or sex with a woman and you're a man. Because Jesus paid for all the sins that are not the way it ought to be. So let's just line them all up. Let's see them get married. Because we follow a Jesus who is the king of all the world. We are citizens of God's kingdom who happen to be citizens of the U.S. So I want to remind you as we close our time, thinking about this U.S. that we live in today, a new U.S. we live in today, I want to first remind you that we are citizens of God's kingdom who happen to be citizens of the U.S. I thank God for the fact that I'm a citizen of the U.S. I thank God for the fact that I can be a pastor who can preach the name of Jesus and sit with people freely and talk about Jesus and pray in the name of Jesus. But I also am no fool to believe that this nation is a Christian nation. You cannot call yourself a Christian nation when you started by a genocide of every Native American because it was your God-given manifest destiny. You cannot be a Christian nation when you suppress women and say you don't have a say and you can't vote. You cannot be a Christian nation when you are built on the backs of black people you stole and owned. You cannot be a Christian nation. I don't know what you are, but that is not the kind of love that we've seen, right? So take down your stupid flag, because you can call it what you want, but it reminds so many people in this nation that this country was built on the backs of people that were animals to whites. And so you can't call yourself a Christian nation when generations later, the same descendants of these people cannot pee in the same toilet that white people can. That is not Christ. That is anti-Christ. And that is why Dr. Martin Luther King and the Spirit of God through people who have surrendered to love in such a way that would give their life at cost to themselves to value others. They would rather give their life than take life. They change this nation. And you cannot call yourself a Christian nation because 
Christ has no monopoly on the U.S. I'm grateful to God that I live in the U.S., And I'm grateful that God has brought this nation to places of repentance and has a constitution that has been amended so that women can vote and that black people can share the same facilities and rights as education. And I'm glad that people don't own people anymore. Hear me. What I'm calling out is the idea that this nation is somehow Christian when Christ is multinational. He doesn't just have a franchise in America The kingdom vision I see in Revelation 21 and 22 is every tribe and every tongue and every nation coming and bowing down at the feet of King Jesus. We are firstly citizens of the kingdom of God. And we are happen to be citizens of the U.S. And we're called within this nation to uh, live peaceably. But we must not mistake the fact That the kingdom and the United States are different. And we cannot blame the United States of America for acting like a nation. We cannot blame the United States of America for listening to the voices of millions of people who are not citizens of the kingdom of God. We cannot blame our system and our society when we say these aren't Christian marriages when people who do not follow Christ that are a husband and a, woman, and a, a male and a female get married every single day and they call it marriage. Nobody's been upset about that. And they go and get married in churches and they've never darkened the door of a church or followed Jesus but they get the rent a minister to pray Nobody's been upset about that. That's not a Christian marriage. We cannot blame a nation for behaving like a nation. We must remember that we are citizens of a king and a kingdom before we are citizens of the U.S. of A. And our first allegiance goes to Jesus. Always Jesus. Our church has gone through a lot of transitions in these 12 years, but that has been foundational. We are citizens of a king and a kingdom who happen to be blessed to be citizens of the U.S., So don't be surprised or afraid. The problem is that, you know, these are nations. These are groups of people who uh, follow different ways and different paths. So we're not, by the way, under the kind of persecution that other Christians in other parts of the world are. We are able to disagree or agree. We are able in this church to disagree or agree. Don't be surprised and don't be afraid. We are within a culture that is not kingdom nor Christian. And while you are dealing with this new normal, don't give Jesus a bad name. Put 1 Corinthians 13 on your fridge and at the end of the day said, where were those places where I was impatient? Where are those places I was not kind? Where are those places on Facebook and Twitter that I did not resemble the God who is love? And let me tell you, side note, From what little I saw of this church on Facebook and Twitter, I was very proud. I was a proud pastor, okay? Now, I didn't see all y'all's posts. So if y'all got something, y'all better delete that thing. (laughs) Don't give Jesus a bad name. Walk in the ways of 1 Corinthians 13 to start. Listen and live, by the way, the best marriages you have if you're a heterosexual marriage and live the kind of countercultural vow to one person that you made. 
Live the best way you can. You know, the old seventh grade quote on the binder, be the change you want to see in the world, right? So as it relates to our brothers and sisters, do work to make peace and maintain unity. Jessica read Ephesians 4, 1-6. We talked about it a few weeks ago. There are people and Christians in the body of Christ, citizens of the same kingdom, who disagree vehemently. Even though I'm just talking about loving, by the way. I've not made a political stance on homosexuality or marriage. I'm just reminding us all to love people. And we need to love our brothers and sisters and make peace when there's discord and maintain unity. We looked two weeks ago at this passage and said unity is not something to attain. It's something God has called us to maintain by the bond of peace. So how then do we be one? You know, Jesus prayed that we would be one, and this passage talks about all the ways we are one. Well, what does that mean when we disagree, okay? Quickly, and we're closing, okay? What does that mean when we disagree with these people on Facebook, these other Christians? You know what? You look that person in the face, you value them at cost to yourself, and you say, at the, if I were to drill down to the bare center of that person, and they can say, Jesus, you're all I've got, and they're bearing fruit, that is patient and kind and these kinds of things, hold on to that and let this little thing out here about gay marriage and homosexuality as a sin or not, could we be a church that's allowed to let that kind of be attention? I could tell you what I think all day. I could tell you what I think about hell. I could tell you what I think about the end times. I could tell you about anything, right? I could, I could tell you, I could give you books, I could give you a dissertation, but you don't want to believe what I believe fully. I'm going to preach Jesus and guide you but I'm not going to say download all my views on the external, exterior things of the faith. Yes? You can ask me, and I will preach them, but I'm okay being a church that has a little bit of a fuzzy boundary, but always sticking to what makes us distinctly orthodox and Christian. Okay? Those Anabaptist core convictions, you don't have to sign that on the member covenant. We ask if you belong and love Jesus and you're committed to belonging and loving us. Now we have like 10 bullet points, but it's all shades of that, yes? <laughs> I'm okay with the tension. I'll tell you what I think. Right now, I don't believe that homosexuality is God's ideal, okay? I don't, I'm not at a place convincingly where I think that that is the way that God intends followers of Jesus to live, okay? But I do think that it's okay for, for, for same-sex people in this country to marry because they belong to a nation and we belong to a kingdom. And I will tell you that anyone who wants to be married by me, Reverend Adam Wood, um, you know, needs to talk to me and I need to know them. And I'm not worried about what this means for those who are coming to our church. I know that the Supreme Court language is still honoring the First Amendment for religion, so don't believe all the mess that we're going to get sued if we deny this person or that. There are the two best men in my wedding got married when they were not followers of Jesus, and I did not perform their weddings. I stood by them and I loved them, and they didn't sue me. That's just a totally free one. I did not intend to go that, put all my cards on the table like that. And those two best men, if they listen to this, let's talk about this. Forgive me, but that's the reality. I just want to tell you that, you know, 
I'm just tilting my cards and telling you that's where I'm at, but I'm not going to make you believe that way. I am going to expect you to read and pray and listen and learn and love everyone well. Because finally, do welcome, learn from, and love from everyone you encounter. If you came out of the box of human being and they had a default switch on your back like you were some kind of toy, your default should be set to love when Jesus enters your life. Because Jesus not only, um, not only came and ate with sinners, they always accused him of being a friend and eating with sinners, Jesus healed, blessed, and taught thieves and prostitutes and people who did not have a whiff of religion. We lose that because it's a neat, fun thing to preach. The person who has never heard about Jesus and walks on the street with a needle hanging out of their arm and uh, they're gay or they're transgendered. I mean, pick whatever the American, like, oh, this is a worst sinner. We've lost the fact that Jesus would touch them and heal them, no questions asked. And I can say that because I see that. They didn't have needles back then. But Jesus not only ate with them, He did heal and teach and bless these people because He knew that everyone was made in God's image. We always start with Genesis 3 and says, everyone is a sinner. Well, the Bible starts that everyone was made in God's image. So we should start there. And if Jesus could see that in someone and call it out, we ought to be those kind of Jesus people too. And our default should be set to love. Because a church is only as good as her disciples. And a disciple is only as good as the quality of his or her love for God and others. So go out into our world and love well. Because the God who is love has shown us and called us to do that. And if you're sitting here tonight and have more questions or like angst than when you came in, talk to me. Okay? Talk to me. And yes, you can do it on Facebook, but I don't really do Facebook. So I would just call you if you post something on my Facebook. I'm not going to go write a blog about this because I don't pastor my Facebook friends. I pastor you guys. Okay? So talk to me. But let us love well and go out into the world. And let us be doubly blessed because I had two 20-minute talks this evening. Yes? Did I say 20? Because that last one wasn't 20 minutes. <laughs> I love you guys. And thank you for allowing me to be... Uh, with you in this journey and in process, uh, thank you for being a part of a church that is okay with a little bit of process. If that's a problem, um, I'm sorry. I mean, talk to me about it, and I can tell you what to believe. Did not mean to make that sound as unloving as that did. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. Let me pray and shut my mouth, and let us come and to the table of Jesus who welcomes all and calls us into life with Him. Okay? I'm going to pray. They're going to play quietly. Come on through and uh, we'll be dismissed here shortly, okay? Father, please, please, for your glory and name, strike every crazy thing that I said that did not reflect who you are and what you would have us learn and hear and do. Please, Lord, let it some way just fall out of these people's minds and hearts. 
We ask that all that would remain is the kind of love and good things that you desire and have for us in these moments. Thank you for a place to come and gather and laugh and talk and belong to one another and follow Jesus together. May we be better and better at following Jesus, at hearing from Him, at seeing Him, at wrestling with Him. And may we love one another well within these walls and this community that you've brought. And may we love relentlessly and recklessly those who are not yet a part of that glorious kingdom. Would we be people of love, regardless of our uh, world and the people we encounter's sin of choice? May we be people who love you and others for all the glory of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.